ask you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Job chapter 1. Today we pick up in verse 13. We've made it in two weeks through the first 12 verses of Job. But those of you betting that we're going to get done sometime in 2023 probably have lost your bet. But I'll tell you what, I have been, and I pray that you have been challenged already just in 12 verses, and God has so much more to say to us. But Job chapter 1, it's on page 576 in that pew Bible, and in just a minute we will stand and read verses 13 to 22, so our goal is to complete chapter 1 today. Job chapter 1, picking up in verse 13, we'll get there in just a second. On August the 16th, 1977, death became real to me. It was on this day, and some of you may already know that day by heart, but it was on this day that Elvis Presley died. And it's funny here, we're 46, it's almost 46 years ago this week, Elvis Presley died of cardiac arrest at Graceland in Memphis, Tennessee. Now, I tell you that that date, death became real to me. I, while I was familiar with death, at that time I was 12 years old. I knew people died. I recall memories earlier in my life where my great-grandmother had died. And so death was not unknown to me. It just became real to me. Because it seemed that Elvis's death was such a big deal. That it beckoned many to think about his death. And here we are 46 years later and we are still waiting to find out that he's not dead, right? But just a few weeks after Elvis Presley's death, we, my family, went to my grandparents' house to celebrate my grandfather's birthday his 65th birthday. But before all the festivities of that birthday of family and celebration, there was work to be done. And my grandfather and my father and I, 12-year-old Jeff, climbed up on the roof of a shed that had been built for the purposes of finishing the roof before the rest of the day got going. I think I got to be a part uh, so I could hand them the nails but it was likely them just allowing me to be there and be a part of that. And it was on that roof, on that day, with my father and my grandfather, that my grandfather had what was later described as a uh, massive heart attack. And right there I was as he crumpled over and sighed. And I believe that I heard his last breath. While my dad attempted to help him, my job was to go down the ladder, run into the house, tell my grandmother to call the ambulance, and I couldn't recall if it was 911 back in those days or not. And then I went to the street, and I stood in the street waiting for the ambulance to arrive watching them go past the house on a different street, hearing them make their way around and eventually getting there. But they arrived and it was too late. He had died. 
I had never been this close to death, and now here I was. I couldn't get away from death at all. Now, it was this grandfather, my mom's father, who walked to church every Sunday. And every time I stayed with my grandparents, he took me to church. And he sang in the choir, and he had this bass voice that, Zach, you would just love to have. But he made me, from his choir position, sit about right here on the front row so he could watch me the whole time. It was this grandfather who taught me how to approach people, look them in the eye, and shake their hand. It was this grandfather that the Lord, that told me the Lord had big plans for me in the future. And it was this grandfather years before this 12-year-old day that told me that one day that the Lord would use me in the ministry. His name was Cecil Miller. And I have one of his Bibles with me today. Now, I have others of his Bibles, but this one is really cool because my grandfather has it marked, and right on the inside cover, it says, see page 313. And if you go to page 313, it's Romans 3.23. And on the bottom of that page, it tells you what to go to to the next verse. And my grandfather has it outlined in this little New Testament how to lead people to come to know Jesus through God's Word. Church, did you know that we are all called to be witnesses for Jesus Christ? The saved sharing about the Savior. Now, I have others of his Bibles as well. And this all occurred 46 years ago. And I found myself writing this on Wednesday. I was in my office, and as it is when I'm writing, the door is shut, and the music is up, and I'm sitting at my computer, and I'm writing. And I'm just crying because these memories of him and the impact on my life were just so real. I'm thankful that God allowed this man to touch my life for 12 years. Just to be clear, by the way, I still blame Elvis. So church, I ask you to stand with me as we read from the book of Job. Today we pick up in verse 13. I'm going to read through the end of chapter 1, verse 22. Job chapter 1, picking up in verse 13 said, Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them when the Sabaeans raided them and took them away. Indeed, they have killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While, there was still speak, while he was still speaking, 
Another also came and said, the Chaldeans formed three bands, raided the camels, and took them away. Yes, and killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, another also came and said, your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, and suddenly a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell on the young people, and they are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job arose, tore his robe, and shaved his head, and fell to the ground and worshiped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin, nor charge God with wrong. Church, you may be seated. Keep your scripture open as we walk back through this. Some would say, now we're getting going with Job. Church, I just need you to understand that these first 12 verses have set the foundation for this book. We didn't just get through 12 verses so that Job could begin. Isn't it interesting how we always think about this as Job when we need to remember what we've talked about these first two weeks as we move forward? Verse 13 said, now there was a day. Now, this is a different day. You see, last week in verse 6, we studied a day. That week, that one that we studied before, that first day is when Satan stood before God. That first day was when God pointed out how faithful Job was. If you'll recall, God himself said Job was blameless, upright, fears God, and shuns evil. It was on this first day that we recall that God said that he considered Job more faithful than any on the earth. It is that first day when God encouraged Satan to consider Job. It was this first day when Satan was given freedom, limited freedom, to touch, quote, unquote, all that he has. That was the first day. That was verse 6. Here we are in verse 13, a later day. After now, we're not sure, and we're not given any indication as to how long after this first day, verse 6, that this another day, verse 13, happens. We just don't know. But it says, verse 13 says that on this day, Job's family met at his oldest son's home to celebrate as was their custom. Note, Job and his wife, Scripture teaches us, are not there. Job probably considers that event, the family gathering, as we talked about two weeks ago, how they would do this on special days, typically the birthdays, and rotate around, that his family getting together to celebrate regularly as a special time, and he was proud that family being together was important, but Job and his wife weren't there. Now, I know this feeling. Every now and then, I'll be talking to one of you, and you're going, Jeff, we're not your family. Oh, yes, you are. Many of you are closer than family to me. But when I'm talking and I'm hearing and I'm overhearing what you all are doing and I hear about these four or five couples that got together, or I hear about this class that got together, or I hear about all these people getting together, I'm going, that is so awesome because I didn't tell anybody to do it. I didn't ask anybody to do it. God has just drawn them together to do something like this. And so as your family, you sit back and you go, 
wow, God, you are so good. Thank you for that. I imagine that Job and his wife probably sat back, not there. They might be glad. Sounds like a big old crew of people, right? But they probably were so thrilled that it was important for their family to be together. Verse 14, the dreaded word, and. Note the change in direction. Have you ever been interrupted by the and of life? In that moment when that and hits your life, things change quickly, things change immediately, and things change forever. I told you I was on the roof with my grandfather and my dad and me working on that. And. My grandfather died right there in a moment. We know what these ands bring to our lives. You've had an and before. You might be dealing with the potential of an and right now. And as we talked about in my little group of people praying in my office this morning at 8.15, we said, listen, you're either just coming out of an and, in an and, or heading toward an and. That's life, right? We get it. And so, and happens. Verse 14 says, and a messenger came to Job. Now, Scripture informs us that this messenger was one of Job's servants, someone who knew Job and someone that Job knew. And this messenger said, verse 14, he said, it was just a regular day. Notice that the oxen were plowing. That's what oxen do. The donkeys were feeding, and based upon the historical time of year this was, the donkeys had probably just recently completed bringing the harvest from the prior year into all the barns, and these donkeys were feeding because they had just completed their seasonal type of work. So it seems like a regular day. Don't ands come on regular days? Out of nowhere. And happens. Verse 15, this messenger went on to say, it was just a regular day. Oxen were doing this, donkeys were doing that. And the Sabaeans raided, took away the oxen and the donkeys, and they killed the servants. Now you go back, historically speaking, it was this group of Sabaeans that helps us date the time of Job to when it was and where it was, which makes this one of the, and church, this is important for you to understand and will become more important in the weeks ahead. One of the oldest, if not the oldest, Part of Scripture we're provided. Remember that for a future day. Remember from two weeks ago, Job was considered the greatest of all the people of the East. And his greatness, if we were to go back and read this in verse 3, was described in terms of what he had. And if you go back in verse 3, you'll see that what he had were 500 yoke of oxen, now, I don't know how many oxen make a yoke. It's at least two, and so it's 1,000 oxen and 500 female donkeys, and that means that there was a bunch of boy donkeys, and I'm not sure what you call a boy donkey. 
But now, this thing that was used to measure the greatness of Job in the eyes of people are now gone, all because of a premeditated act of men. But we understand that this is the first way Satan attempted to attack, quote, unquote, all Job has. We also understand that Satan was given this authority to touch all Job has by God. Verse 15, this messenger completes his conversation by saying, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Now just, just hold on to that thought. I alone have escaped to tell you. What stuff do you have that you consider important? What stuff do you have that defines who you are? Just think about that. You may not have 500 yoke of oxen and 500 female donkeys, but you have things that are important to you that help define who you are. What are those things? Verse 16 says, while he was still speaking, now let me give you a definition of this. While messenger one was sharing what had happened to the oxen and the donkeys and the servants, another came also. So Job is joined by another messenger, another of Job's servants, another person that knew Job, and another person that Job knew. And this messenger goes on in verse 16 and says, And the fire of God fell from heaven. Now many people have regarded this as an immediate electrical storm or lightning strike. Now I was reminded of this at least two times this past week. As we sat with the power off yesterday at our house and lightning was everywhere, I started to go outside on the porch and I thought better of it. <laughs> Literally. Because we understand that lightning is dangerous and it does great harm. And it burned up, verse 16 says, all the sheep and the servants. And if you go back to verse 3, that helps us to find how great Job was considered by men. He was great because he had 7,000 sheep. Now, this would be what an insurance company would call an act of God. We recognize this. Now, recall, we've already discussed how God directs all the lightning. I think I used that two weeks ago. And that lightning listens to the commands of God. Now all the sheep and the shepherds are gone. But we need to understand that this is the second way that Satan has attempted to attack all that Job has. And we must understand that Satan was given this authority to touch all that Job has. And in this case, 7,000 sheep by God. And then if you read right there, this closes with an eye alone. I've escaped to tell you. What stuff do you have that you consider important? What stuff do you have that defines who you are? Verse 17, we're getting a familiar trend happening here. It says, while he was still speaking, let me give you a little indication here. While messenger two was sharing about the sheep and messenger one is still standing, having just shared about the oxen and the donkeys and the servants, another messenger walks up. Verse 17 says, 
Job is joined by another messenger, which is another of Job's servants, another person that Job knew, and another person that knew Job. And this third messenger says, And the Chaldeans raided in three bands. They took all the camels and killed the servants. And if we go back to verse 3, we find out that one of the reasons that Job was considered great was because he had 3,000 camels. Now, all the camels are gone, and the servants have been killed. But church, we need to understand that this is the third way that Satan has attempted to attack all that Job has. We also understand that Satan was given this authority to touch all that Job has by God Almighty. And notice again, this messenger's final words, and alone I have escaped to tell you. What stuff do you have that you consider important? What stuff defines who you are? Verse 18 one more time, let's look at it, church. It says, while he was still speaking. So let me just bring you up to speed. While messenger number three was sharing about the camels, and messenger number two is still standing there having just shared about the sheep, and messenger one is still standing there having just shared what happened to the oxen and the donkey and the servants, another messenger comes up. We'll call him messenger number four. Job is joined by this fourth messenger, another of his servants, another person that knew Job, and another person that Job knew. Verse 18 says, your family, all your family was having their family celebration and suddenly a great wind struck the house, verse 19, and all your children are dead. Verse 2 goes back and helps us define the greatness of Job. And in verse 2 says that Job was considered great because of his 10 children, because in that time frame, the more kids you had, the greater you were considered. Now all of the children are gone, and the servants are killed, and we need to understand that this is the fourth way that Satan has attempted to attack all that Job has, and we also understand that Satan was given this authority to touch Job by God. Now, I think that we would easily agree that the loss of his children was by far the worst loss that Job suffered on this day. Verse 19, this fourth messenger says, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Who do you have in your life that defines who you are. What? 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 Now this fourth messenger causes us to ask to answer the question, who? Who do you have in your life that defines who you are? And the messengers stopped coming. Because everything that Satan thought made Job blameless, upright, fearful of God, and one who shuns evil has now been taken away from him. Church, catch this next statement. Now, Satan believes, now we get to see if a good man who was considered a great man 
remains a good man now that he is no longer considered a great man. I'm going to say that again so that you get that if you're writing that down because this is an important thing. We now get to see, after four messengers worth of attacking, we now get to see if a good man who was considered a great man remains a good man now that he is no longer considered a great man. And in this statement, if you hear what I said, I said, now we get to see. See. Well, who gets to see this? Job's life has been destroyed. He's lost everything. Who gets to see this? Well, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and through the faithful one used by God to capture this scripture, we, for one, get to see this. But not just us. Let me paint a picture of who gets to see this. We know that Job has at least five people with him. His wife, who we will hear from soon, and four messengers. Remember the four messengers, right? I alone have escaped to tell you. 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 Scripture tells us they are right there. So who gets to see this? Now, I do not believe it would be unreasonable to think that Job, at the end of the fourth messenger, just sat there for a moment. I need us to understand and read Scripture slowly. Just because verse 20 follows verse 19, it does not mean that we need to rush right into it. Remember, we're recounting events in this man's life. So Job probably sat there for a moment, or maybe many moments, seeking to take in all that has just happened, all the loss, all the death, all of this while happening to a man that God considers blameless, upright, fearful of God, and one who shuns evil. We cannot forget as we walk through this book of Job what Job has lost. It greatly impacts how we get to view how Job responds. So church, don't forget what he has lost. But we also don't get to forget the character that he had going into these events as well. So when you think about Job for just a second, and the fact that he probably is devastated. You know, sometimes there are no words to share, to be helpful in a time of hurt, in a time of pain, in a time of loss. Sometimes we just choose to be there. The Jewish term for this would be called sitting shiva. S-H-I-V-A. People would surround the one who had suffered loss and just sit quietly with them. 
their presence being the only effective form of help in that moment. And they would sit Shiva quietly with them up until the point that the one who had suffered loss is ready and chooses to speak. Now, church, I'm a, a good talker. I desire to be a good fixer. But sometimes all I can offer as you struggle with loss, pain, fear, diagnosis, whatever the burden is, sometimes all I can do is just be there. I want to remind you that I desire to sit Shiva with you. So I imagine that some time passed between verse 19 and verse 20. And I think it's important for us to recognize what likely was occurring during that time. Verse 20, then Job arose. Now that tells us that Job was either sitting down the whole time or sitting down when he was told and had yet to get up. But we now said, see that Job arose. And Scripture tells us that he tore his robe, that he shaved his head, and that he fell to the ground. Job was experiencing and showing the devastation of the loss, the challenge of the loss. And Job hurt in ways that no words can accurately describe. Church, I want to remind you that you can hurt from loss and still be found faithful. If you go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, a passage that I use in funerals a lot, Paul says, do not sorrow as those who have no hope. He's not saying, don't be sad. What he's saying is, keep your sad under the perspective of God's loving hand. Job gets up. He mourns. He mourns. He mourns. And he doesn't get over this because I'm not sure you ever get over this. That's another thing I'll walk with you. When you lose something... It's okay to appropriately carry it with you. I was amazed. 46 years ago, I was on the roof with my grandfather at the age of 12. 46 years ago. You're going 58. Yeah, I'm 58. Okay, we'll get all that passed for all you math people out there. But 46 years ago, and I only knew him for 12 years, and we didn't live with my grandparents, so he was just a part of my life, not an everyday part of my life. And here I was recounting this loss. And just cried. It just welled up inside of me. You can hurt from loss and still be found faithful. Verse 20 says, Job arose and Job worshipped God. 
1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 through 11. Let me read that to you. It says, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he, that would be God, may exalt you in due time, casting all your cares upon him, that is God, for he, God, cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Jesus Christ, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. In this moment, Job had a choice in his response. Job had the perspective of one who had invested their life in God. And it had netted a life that was considered blameless, upright, fearful of God, and one who shuns evil. Let's reread verse 21. Let me read it to you. It says, and he said, remember he arose and worshiped, and he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job says, I brought nothing into this world. I've seen baby pictures. I was naked. I was. And every baby I've seen born, and I've been pretty close to babies being born, even my own too, they were naked too. Hope that doesn't embarrass you. But they were naked. And I'll take nothing out. This is silly, I know, but I remember going to my grandfather's funeral. We had been to McDonald's that morning. And I remember being this 12-year-old who was probably chewing on everything he could find. And I had one of those little stir sticks with the little arches on the top of it. And I don't know if they still do those things or not. And I didn't know what to do, and I wanted to leave something with my grandfather, but the only thing I had was that stir stick, and I stuck it in his pocket. You're going, silly little boy. He's in heaven with the Lord. That stir stick's not important to him. He's with the Lord. But in that moment, if we don't fully understand, we think that those things still matter. Ecclesiastes 5.15 says, As he came from his mother's womb, naked shall he return to go as he came, and there shall nothing from his labor which he may carry away in his hand. You don't get to carry away anything. Even if they put it in your hand, that favorite hat or that this or that that or a big old wad of money, when they get to go with them, they don't know. They're with the Lord or they're not with the Lord, but they're certainly not with that stuff. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 7 says, For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that we can carry nothing out. Verse 21, Job says, The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. James 1.17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. John 3, 27, John answered and said, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. A couple things, one personal thought, one applicational thought. 
I'm so glad that the Lord gave me 12 years with my grandfather. I probably have never realized the value of it much until recently. You know, I can look in terms of, God, you stole 46 years of my grandfather from me. Or I can look at it as, Lord, you gave me 12 years with my grandfather. Church, it's a choice how you look at it. But think about this, and it rattled in my mind. In the loss of his children, how glad do you think Job is? And how much peace did it offer to him that he had prayed for his children, lived before his children, and sacrificed regularly before his children in a time, church, that is before everything that we know biblically? that had to bring Job peace, that he had parented well. Verse 21, blessed be the name of the Lord. Job recognizes that God's glory is more important than his own comfort or all of his worldly gifts. Job knows that the God he serves is worthy, and in this moment, Job trusts him. We can worship God in extreme situations if we will trust him. Verse 22, we'll finish this. It says, in all this, in all that we've talked about, he, Job, did not sin nor charge God with wrong. He didn't blame God. Job is not giving God a pass because he is God. Job is trusting that his God knows what he is doing. Do you trust that God is good and knows what he is doing? Do you have anything in your life that you are allowing to define you that might be taking a higher place in your life than God and His glory. Now, I want to take us back to these four messengers because it's just been all over me this week, I'm, these four messengers. Verse 15, verse 16, verse 17, verse 19. I believe they have a greater purpose than just being the messengers of loss. I believe these four messengers get to sit on the front row of seeing Job glorify God in this time of great loss. They are shown a tremendous testimony that God is worthy of praise and glory at all times. God is worthy of praise and glory regardless of situation, regardless of circumstances. I would call in Job's life, in his core of people around him, I would call these people a remnant. Just a small piece left behind. Joseph in Genesis was a remnant for Israel after many tragic turns in his testimony. And you read all that in the chapters in the 40s all the way to the end of Genesis 50. But in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, Joseph said this, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God 
meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. Joseph went through all kinds of challenges, but he said, God knew and God meant it for good. Joseph said, yeah, God allowed this. He caused this. He put me right here, but he had a purpose in every single thing that he did. I'm about to close, but let me read Isaiah chapter 53, verses 10 to 12. I just want to read these three verses. If you're a note taker, you need to write this down. Isaiah 53, verses 10 to 12. It says this, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him, we're talking about Jesus, to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Do you notice that? It pleased God to do that to Jesus so that you, when you hear the gospel, God's love in truth form could come to know faith and forgiveness and life eternal. Romans 11.5 says this, Even so then, at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. Church, today, we face many challenges. And as we walk together, we will likely face many more. The question is not, how do I escape challenge? The question is, how do I remain faithful in the face of that challenge? And the way that we do that is to see that we are now messengers left behind to be able to tell others how to be saved. Right? Jesus told us, he said, go and make disciples. What he's saying is, is there's going to be a lot of challenges in your life, but I want to give you one thing. I am worthy, and now you go tell other people that I am worthy. These witnesses... These messengers, they had a purpose. Church, can I tell you, the reason you're here is that God has left you here, right? I breathe this moment because God gives me breath. No other reason. And so as such, I am called to be a messenger. And I can find people this week in my pathway and say, I have escaped to tell you. Wow, what an opportunity, amen? 
Now, very soon, you're going to hear me talk more about something that I'm going to go ahead and encourage every single one of you to go ahead and commit to do. You're going, Jeff, what is it? I'm just going to ask you to commit to do it. You'll hear more about it soon. But it will be about how to be the appropriate messenger. Amen?